Hey friends, last week was part one of two talking with Dan Allender and Tremper Longman, who have been longtime best friends and have done some amazing work from two different perspectives, Christian counselor and a distinguished biblical scholar and theologian, and their perspectives and writings on marriage. So if you missed episode three, I highly encourage you to go back, but we continue the conversation and it just keeps getting better in episode four. Excited for you to listen in. You know, while theology might be the queen, doesn't mean we can't learn from the other disciplines either. Sometimes I have found in various areas, not just psychology, but science in general, that sometimes science can help us read the Bible better. So that's why this interdisciplinary relationship is important. Welcome to the Between Two Trees podcast, a podcast about shifting the conversation about marriage in this cultural moment. This podcast is completely listener-supported, so please subscribe, share the podcast with your friends and your family, and even donate if you feel led. We're grateful you've joined the conversation. Let's dive in. Dan and Trevor, we have, uh, we've loved the idea of hearing some of the stories that you guys have told in regards to, uh, to growing up together in, uh, in Ohio and the synergism that comes from a long-term relationship that gives you guys the, uh, the ability to trust each other uh, and to move into this idea of, of thinking as a theologian, a biblical scholar, and a therapist, both of you with strong philosophical roots, bringing those together to talk about an, a, a discipline of marriage and really God's design for marriage. But what we, what we really want to hear from a little bit is, is why as a therapist and why as a theologian do you think that uh, it's so often hard to talk to each other about it for others, not you guys, but hard to talk about it and to bring those disciplines together uh, in a way that's really going to help the church and help couples to, to really engage uh, theologically in a way that applies to their marriage and applies to the, uh, the community of marriage. Dr. Longman, I defer again to you. <laughs> this is our simpatico. Uh, yeah. So, um, even though theology can devolve into kind of an abstract intellectual exercise, uh, theology and biblical scholarship uh, in service of the church is flowing out of the fact that the Bible is our canon. You know, it's our standard of faith and practice. It's God disclosing himself to us telling us about himself, about our relationship with him, uh, telling us uh, who we are and, um, and about our relationships. You know, not specifically. It doesn't give us a sort of a counseling methodology or anything like that. But biblical, the, the, the Bible and theology in general always should be in touch with real life. And, and so that's how I'd start the conversation from my side. <laughs> Let me push back just a little bit on, on that and, and the idea that says, why does theology then need psychology and physiology and the other component pieces uh, to, to really enlighten uh, and to w bring a well-rounded theology of marriage? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, well, first of all, uh, the Bible does... Uh, tell us many important things about who we are as human beings, uh, but not everything. Uh, and, mm. and, um, and we can learn a lot. And, and we see this in the wisdom tradition in the uh, Bible, 
uh, we can learn a lot by observation, by reflection, by uh, study, uh, and and uh, that's at least one aspect of what I see uh, my colleagues, particularly Dan, who I think is a, a consummate sage when it comes to reading people and, and reading culture as well as reading the text. Um, you know, so um, we can learn an awful lot by experience and reflection, observation, learning from our mistakes, uh, things, things like that. But, uh, but again, talking about the wisdom literature, I happen to be writing a lot on wisdom again <laughs> at the moment. You know, true biblical wisdom is a practical wisdom. It's an ethical wisdom, but foundationally, it's also a theological wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So uh, right in the book of Proverbs, you see this integration of having the right worldview as we go out there and then learn more about our world. Uh, and, and, and actually, too, I think that becomes the ground for learning not, not just from Christians, but also from non-Christian thinkers. Sure. Um, because of what theologians call common grace, uh, yeah. sin sin affects who we are as thinking people, but it doesn't make us insane. So, uh, <laughs> and we have well, to not always. Yeah, yeah, not always, not always. <laughs> but so, so those, yeah, uh, I'd love to hear Dan's perspective on those things. Well, I, I think of creation in the sense of what Adam and Eve were called to create in the garden, uh, it, it, there's a sense in which they weren't just like plowing the fields. Uh, they were exploring the beauty and glory of creation. So eventually they would have found a way uh, to uh, go to the moon. Uh, mm -hmm. Absolutely. Anything that we have discovered and created, I'm not going to say it would be identical, but there's a sense in which Adam and Eve would have created all forms of goodness at least as good as what we have. I mean, even that's preposterous. It'd be so far beyond. So the notion that we are meant to explore with intrigue all the worlds that God has given us is a cultural mandate. We are to fill and multiply. We are to subdue and rule. Mm -hmm. And subduing and ruling isn't just having power over, it's growing glory. It's glory mm -hmm. is glorious, and it can be even more glorious because that being that reflects the very image of God in relationship with another image bearer is meant to actually create even greater glory. So what, what I'm saying is, rather than thinking of it as merely the issue of theology, psychology, mm. it's that we are to explore all of creation to be in even greater awe uh, of our creator, a uh, greater sense of gratitude. But as Trimper said, given that we are fallen, we need one another, not just individually, but corporately, to in many ways expose bias, uh, to in many ways help us with the process of hermeneutically reading the world with greater 
clarity, accuracy, and fullness. Mm-hmm. Even even that idea of, of Adam and Eve in the garden, and uh, and and the glory of God there with them in the in the presence as as it speaks of God walking in the evening with them, and yet yeah. still they're discovering by the created order, and even discovering as they're exposed to each other for the first time, mm-hmm. uh, and what what and how the human psyche works. Uh, I mean, God has revealed so much to them, revealed himself in his very glory, and yet they're still discovering, which is which is incredibly powerful to think about. Yeah, I mean, Jonathan Edwards speaks about eternity as something that is an ongoing exploration of the infinite glory of God. Mm-hmm. So even what eternity will hold is still the discovery uh, of what can never be fully comprehended, fully, in one sense, mastered or controlled. So if we understand the very nature of God and that all things seen reveal something about the very nature of the unseen, then we've got this playground to grow in, but also be in many ways conformed to. So I, part of the conversation is that I... As a therapist, as a psychologist, my my task is always to be asking, ultimately, how does what I read comport and conform to what Scripture teaches? Uh, Mm. So in that sense, my field has its own language. And it's Mm. not bad, but it's also not primary. It's not the primary language, Uh, but it it doesn't make—if I use the word pathology, it's different than the word sin. But Mm. on the other hand, it overlaps with the reality of sin. So there's Mm. a sense in which I've always uh, viewed—an old phrase was, theology is the queen of -hmm. the sciences. Mm -hmm. And I, I totally agree with that. There is a sense in which I'm asking through the lens of both theological, biblical categories, does this conform to what I know to be true in Scripture? And Trimper has been my, certainly my best friend, but but as well, a lens by which I read and ask for that kind of interaction so that both of our, our worlds have greater clarity. Hmm. That's really beautiful. You know, while... Theology might be the queen doesn't mean we can't learn from the other disciplines uh, either. Um, yeah. I think mm-hmm. that sometimes I have found in various areas, not just psychology, but even, you know, science in general, mm-hmm. that sometimes science can help us read the Bible better. Uh, and so that's why this interdisciplinary relationship is important. I mean, just to give you a, a commonly accepted historical example of that, just think of Galileo, you know, where there were a lot of people who were reading the Bible thinking that it taught that the earth was the center of the solar system. Mm. Uh, But then Galileo got his rudimentary telescope out and said, I don't think so. And then we went back and said, you know what? It really isn't the case that when the Psalms says that the earth won't be moved, that that means, because it showed that theologians who are reading the Bible through the prism of an Aristotelian cosmology. Mm-hmm. Wow. And so, well, uh, yeah. But am I historically right? He did eventually repent, though. 
<laughs> Actually, you are not historically right. And, and it's also kind of uh, interesting that there were a whole bunch of theologians who were supporting him and a whole bunch of non-Christians who were against him because mm-hmm. they were Aristotelians. <laughs> but maybe more interesting uh, even than Galileo is, is what you guys have done in taking the whole idea of biblical sexuality mm-hmm. as you have written together in that mm-hmm. area and brought together theological, biblical, psychological, physiological, mm-hmm. and brought this interdisciplinary sense. I think, uh, I think when we think of marriage and relationships, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, Go on the side of uh, let's let's bring those together in sexuality instead of Galileo and uh, and and the universe. I, I agree, but Galileo was eventually brought before the tribunal, and the prospect of having you know bamboo put under his fingernails brought him back to the reality that, of course, the Earth is the center. Yeah, absolutely, and so are so are each of us. <laughs> I think you're but just hoping that someday somebody puts bamboo under my feet. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, rep- I'll repent of a lot. <laughs> and it's interesting that, again, coming into this conversation, it's often, at least for, for people, maybe younger people like me, to, to view uh, the- theology and counseling practice uh, as just two very different communities that seldom talk to one another. I just think it's super beautiful how it's not just uh, they agree with one another through your guys' relationship, but how that there is wisdom, there is truth, there is an original design that uh, that results in flourishing um, on the planet. And then through the experience of that in our lives, we then better understand the wisdom and truth. And it's like a cyclical, you said the queen to the king. I mean, it's, it's so beautiful that it um, just, I don't know. I just think up to this point, how much harm has probably been from those two not speaking so to true. one another. is just building yeah. one another. In this yeah, we're, we're just not competitive uh, and that there is sufficient, deep, long-term trust yeah. uh, of, 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 of the fields, but as much, if not more, the person. So yeah. in that, uh, you know, I, I know, I know many psychologists, I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, let my dog see, and I wasn't <laughs> fond of my dog. Um, and and yet there are many theologians that uh, as well, uh, and biblical <laughs> scholars. So there's a sense in which this is an intersection of field, thought, yeah. but also personhood. Hmm. And how have you seen that amongst, and maybe each of you, if you could answer this individually, how have you seen that? be different in your lives as you guys have this relationship of being able to uh, do therapy with a theological flavor and being able to teach and to write with a real world application mm-hmm. understanding. How have you seen that different from other, not just professors and writers or therapists and counselors, but even Christian writers mm-hmm. and teachers and therapists and counselors? How have you guys seen the richness of your guys' relationship be different? Oh, Dr. Longman, please go first. <laughs> well, I mean, it's interesting that you asked that question because our sort of conscious, intentional interaction has been happening since 1984, you know? And so, mm. <laughs> and, um, and, and all I could tell you is that, well, I mean, maybe an example isn't 
so much that I don't do some purely scholarly work because I do, but I have committed myself to say writing more commentaries and actually designing commentaries. I, I've had the wonderful privilege of designing commentary series. Uh, most recently, the uh, Story of God commentary, which I'm editing the Old Testament of, and Scott McKnight's doing the New Testament. So I designed the Old Testament version of that, where it is a commentary that just doesn't talk about original meaning, but that mm-hmm. takes that, does talk about that, but then says, now what contemporary significance does it have? Yeah. Where does it touch our lives? And, and, and so, um, and that's powerful. And, a lot of people looking back at the old Testament, just yeah, not quite yeah. sure how to understand it and being able to connect that to. Right. And, well, I, I, and I can also tell you, I've had, uh, I've had the occasional scholarly colleague come up to me and saying uh, something to the effect of, you know, you're ruining your reputation by doing these practical things. And I basically said, uh, uh, (laughs) that's okay. (laughs) I'm I'm happy to serve the church in this direction. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're on a podcast with lovely believers that's not what you said but i I trust it's near what you said hey i love one of the things i love tremper in that is the conscious intentional interaction of a theologian and a therapist psychologist uh based on the fact of the, the the relationship that you guys have but that idea that i think is so often missing and and sometimes missing uh for for pastors of a pastoral staff when they talk about this and even for couples is a conscious intentional interaction that says these things are woven together mm-hmm. by the design of god and and all for the purpose of revealing his glory which becomes so powerful and as as we think of that i, I love that that concept and I, again, I, I totally agree with you, Kurt, but let's just, sometimes we get so true to certain truths that mm-hmm. we forget that we're all just really practical, playful people. Yes. I mean, this collaboration began walking down Vale Mountain with our families, where mm-hmm. Tremper and I were talking about what we were working on. I was working on a book called Bold Love. And Tremper was working on the Divine Warrior. And uh, all of a sudden, it was just like, I don't know. I I almost remember the physical space where I just went, Mm -hmm. oh, my gosh, that is so overlapping with what I'm doing with regard Mm -hmm. to this concept of what it means to love, what it means to forgive. And -hmm. then the more we talked, it was like, you need to write a chapter. But as good as that was playful, theoretical, overlapping worlds, it also dawned on both of us, and I'll, I'll take credit here, dawned <laughs> on me first, that if we did that, we could write off the veil trip. Yes. So, so <laughs> uh, American tax law brought us together. So, <laughs> you know, and I was going to, I was going to talk about the beauty of the organic uh, uh, nature of it. I had, I had no idea that it was both uh, fiducial and, and uh, legal in this thing. So absolutely. Yeah. See, that's where you go back to say, yeah. look, this are people live in the practicalities of money and time <laughs> and vacations. Yeah. And then to be able to go, you mean the government will pay for us well, to work together? Well, we, oh well, my gosh. 
First of all, just a couple of things. That's a totally true story. But what I was <laughs> reflecting on in 1984 was before that, when we, when you invited Ray Dillard and I down to attend your- Totally true. But I mean, that's why there, you, you can never get any one story full. It's all concatenated. No, I know, I know. But, then, yeah. but then that was the first practical step. Yep. And then, but I also want to say, and we didn't do it for this, but it happened naturally and organically that mm. we- since we had some success with our books, our publishers were willing to also fund our getting together to write it. Right. And I remember having some nice dinners, toasting, thank you, Tyndale House. Press. Yes, yes. But, but, <laughs> but, but to say that we didn't for it, there's wow. a sense in which you're, 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 you're minimizing the fact that, of course, we did it for it, <laughs> but for other factors as well. Now, I love the idea that a publisher pays for us to travel, to mm-hmm. hang out, to talk. And it's part of the privilege that y- you, you gain when you choose to work in uh, the, you know, the fields of God. There's fruit. It's and true. some of that fruit uh, is wine, uh, but yeah. first grapes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so good. Hey, I want to, I want to run, I want to honor your time. And, and I want to go to the idea back to that sense of what you're saying right there, the practical, the organic, mm. if you guys could speak to either, yeah. uh, either a pastor who's doing pulpit ministry and leading a church or to a therapist who's got a practice that's going, or just straight to a couple that says, hey, the necessity for you to think theologically about your marriage. No, we want you to live in the fun recreational space of your marriage, yeah. but to ground it in a theological space. If you could talk to one of those uh, entities and say something to them, what, what would you choose and, and, and what would you say? Uh, first, love the language that your field has taught you. Um, hmm. And it, it it is a realm that you can always grow more in, understanding in many ways how the how the concepts and words and categories came to be. So having a sense of the culture, the history, the language, um, but then to be able to say, and what does it help me see that others don't seem to see? Hmm. Uh, so in that sense, it becomes a lens that, you, if you look through it well enough, long enough, you'll see things that apparently other people don't see quite in the same way. But don't mm. don't succumb to narcissism. Let your heart own that you need other lenses. So that's that sense of when I speak to three neighbors down, who's a, a, a well-known attorney, he sees things even in scripture that help me read myself, my world far better. So I think it's part of that realm of, you know, I'm a hand, you're a leg, but we're part of the body. And we mm-hmm. must have uh, not a narcissistic structure of valuation of my field versus another, but an ownership that we have to have a wide complement of people and experiences to be able to read scripture and uh, to read life well. Mm. I would totally affirm that. And uh, just remember, don't think of theology as this kind of abstract learning of facts or information that the best theology is in the service of life. And so, uh, and, and be, be uh, 
selective in those theologians. Not not even necessarily so much as to what tribe they come from, but in terms of um, are they themselves grappling with with uh, issues of life as they're thinking about um, about about uh, you know doctrine or what the Bible mm. teaches. Um, and there's some really good ones out there, like Jonathan Wilson, Kevin Van Hooser, mm-hmm. um, and and uh, and 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 others that are just not coming to me at this sure. moment. But uh, those are theologians, and there are lots of biblical scholars too. And um, and I, you know, I had the privilege of the, going back to this commentary series of uh, being part of not only designing it but also of assigning them. And there are a whole bunch of biblical scholars out there these days who are very interested in in talking about um, issues of life as they're doing their work. Forty years ago, Gene Getz released the book Sharpening the Focus of the Church, where he took the three lenses of Scripture, history, and culture and said that uh, that our mission needs to be seen through all three of those lenses. So, Dan, as you talk about the, the the different lenses that we bring to the conversation, that becomes so important. And, and our goal, our desire, is to see that sense of the, these different lenses coming together in regards to focusing uh, the the image of, of what God's designed for marriage is, looking at it from an interdisciplinary view, psychology, history, scripture, theology, philosophy, physiology, all of those lenses come together to give us a picture. We need to shift this conversation that says it's not just about what I want in my marriage, what my marriage uh, could be if I just did it right, but what we can see of what God's design is when we look at every one of these lenses and we use them to focus down to the very central point of what God wants for a, for a place that our marriages, that our lives will flourish. Maybe one last question um, that I have for you guys. If you could speak once more uh, to the couple that's listening, for someone who's not necessarily the in the field who is teaching or who is writing or is providing therapy, but someone who is receiving um, on the re- receiving end of that, what would you say to a couple? I, I'm just thinking right now of kind of modern day. It's COVID nineteen. Mm-hmm. We're and we're living our lives and trying to get a good job and build you know build the lives and dream about our future. But I kind of view like Christian therapy as like I'll, I'll do that when either like right before I get married or right at the end or if things are really starting to get hard, like then I'll go to that way or man, if I'm really caring to understand the Bible more and how that impacts my marriage, if I want to do like a one-off study, then I'll go dive into theology. But there's just so much richness in this conversation and and engaging in these conversations, um, both practically and theologically. How What would you say to a couple um, who's caring deeply to mm-hmm. um, to just experience more of heaven in their marriage by mm-hmm. both the practice and the theological. Yeah. Well, first of all, I I would and should have said this earlier. Point people to the resources you all are developing as well, and through that, find other resources that might be helpful. And I guess what I'd also say is, you know, set in for the long run. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. You know, it's uh, especially as busy people. You know, um, 
my sons are, you know, they've been married five, 10 years. They're extremely busy, especially in this COVID day. So if your first reaction is, I don't have any more time for anything Hmm. or work, I just remember just maybe even a little bit of thinking, prayer, Hmm. studying, reading, to stimulate Hmm. your mind, to get yourself thinking about it, uh, I think is important. Mm-hmm. with the sirens as an exclamation point in the background yeah and uh you know my simple phrase would be ruin comes from inattention mm-hmm. so uh, you know you may not know how to change your oil but uh you, you better you better find somebody to do some of the work because uh your marriage uh mm-hmm. will eventually be ruined if you do not engage what needs to be engaged on an ongoing basis. So the first category I would have is, you know, date nights are great, conversations are great, but uh, it is inevitable there will be conflict when you've got two sinners in an intimate relationship. So Mm. how are you engaging the differences, not just gender, but story? How are you engaging the stories that brought you to be who you are, that brought you to actually choose your spouse? And where are the disruptions that it isn't a problem. It's part of the work of redemption. So I think that's one, the first category is inattention is going to ruin you. How do you create a context where, you know, daily, weekly, monthly, five minutes is better than zero. uh, And five minutes of being able to say, let's talk and pray. Mm. Three Mm. minutes of prayer, two minutes uh, of conversation. I don't care. Uh, it, but form will eventually set a direction. So, you know, mm-hmm. letting your heart have, you know, two pages of reading together out loud, mm-hmm. a book, and I don't care if it's a book, fiction or Acadian mm-hmm. uh, a, a autobiographical <laughs> fiction. Um, so I love that. Yeah, we've a lot of my friends and I, <clears throat> from of all different ages, um, listen listening to John Mark Comer and have read his recent book. But he one line that stood out really deeply uh, to me is that you become what you give your attention to, mm-hmm. um, and that's you know focused on where we are giving our time, our attention. But what you are saying is ruin comes from inattention, and very much so also in the same way, you know. If we're not, not becoming married people embodying love and giving attention to that, then ruin will come. Um, yeah. So it's thank you. That's good. It's interesting when you go to the Proverbs and uh, and the uh, the writer speaks about uh, going and finding the broken down wall, and his uh, his int- his exhortation is a little sleep, a little slumber, mm-hmm. a little of the folding of hands to rest, <laughs> and uh, poverty will come upon you like yes. a, like. Villain. Yes. So, yeah, absolutely. So, hey, you guys, thanks so much. We are Thank you. such Dan, a delight for us. Lots of fun. So grateful. Thank you for the privilege. Yeah. Dan, Tremper, and Kurt, thank you all for your time and uh, for everyone listening. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.